Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This current series of messages is on the book of Acts, showing its relevance for today as a pattern book for the operation of the Holy Spirit through the church. Be sure also to get a copy of Kevin's commentary on the book of Acts. Visit kevinconnor.org for details. I'd like to read uh, verses 1 through to 8 again tonight and uh, pick out a couple of other things that we need to look at. So the former three days have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do, both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up after that he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Pray that the Lord will bless the word to our hearts. Now I'd like you to turn over to a couple of other scriptures here as we uh, introduce what uh, we're going to be covering tonight. So let's turn to uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And we'll turn first of all to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And uh, we'll pick up in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 38 through to 41. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 to 41. And certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. And he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation, and they shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. Now, last week, uh, for those of you who are not able to be here, and uh, we'd like to encourage you to pick up the tape, we just uh, sort of laid a foundation for the book of Acts and just worked through a pretty simple outline here that uh, I'll just refer to again before we start moving into our session tonight. So we looked at the book of Acts, the title, and we looked at various titles. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit, Acts of the Apostles, or Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. And number two, we saw the divine author is none other than the Holy Spirit. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, uh, in righteousness. And uh, the human author was uh, the, uh, Dr. Luke, the physician, the beloved, uh, beloved physician Luke, the human writer, who also wrote the gospel according to his name. 
Then number four, we saw the position of the book, very important, that after the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and before the church epistles, we have the book of Acts, where Jesus continues to uh, both do and teach. He continues to do uh, now in heavenly ministry what he began to do and teach in earthly ministry. And then number five, we saw the scope of the book covered about uh, 30, 35 years, right through to Paul's imprisonment in Rome. And then number six, the challenge that if we had no other books today written by Christians, it just had the book of Acts, it still stands and it's uh, as a great challenge to the church to return back to the power of the Holy Spirit. And then number seven, we looked at the key verse was, uh, you will be witnesses unto me in Judah and Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. Then in our general outline, we looked at uh, Peter and Paul being the two major apostles and found that Acts chapter 1 through to 12 is given over to the apostle Peter and Acts chapter 13 through to 28 is given over to the apostle Paul. So last week we just sort of laid a foundation just in a sort of a overview of the book. Now what I want you to do tonight as we work through some things is this that in uh, Acts chapter 1 and we're particularly looking at the verse 3 and we're going to connect it up uh, with what we've read in Matthew here Jesus, after his resurrection, was seen of the disciples 40 days. We're told in Acts 1 again, verse 3, I'm reading, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, one of the things that uh, over the years we've all heard about Jonah, the sign of the prophet Jonah, but I think uh, one of the things that have been missed over the years is this, so want you to sort of uh, look at what we're going to begin with here. So into the Old Testament, we have the prophet jo Jonah. Only uh, man in the Bible who had a submarine ride, free of charge. How many know that Jonah was really down in the mouth at times there? And uh, I always feel sorry for Jonah because the Bible says in the Old Testament that they were always to pray toward Jerusalem like their various people pray toward Mecca today. And uh, so poor Jonah's down in the mouth there and he's got all this seedweed wrapped over him and he's trying to figure out which way is Jerusalem, God. It says to pray towards thy temple in Jerusalem. And the fish hasn't got any clue. Uh, anyway, that's a very interesting thing. We've we been not get sidetracked. Now, when, we, when Jesus said that uh, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh a sign, and no sign will be given it but the sign of the prophet Jonah, what was the sign of the prophet Jonah? Now, this is a point that many expositors miss, so I want to sort of just uh, build this as our base tonight. So doing a little old famous line here. What was the first period of time once Jonah got out of the will of God? and uh, went for his submarine ride. Remember the sign of the three days and three nights. Is that right? As Jonah was three days and three nights in the, uh, the belly of the whale, the welly of the bale, uh, belly of the whale's right, isn't it? Okay, three days and three nights, and uh, has this experience down in the belly of hell, Christ of the Lord, and uh, I personally believe that Jonah experienced a death and then when the fish vomited him up, and you know, a backslidden preacher is enough to make any fish sick. <laughs> Would you agree with that? And so he just took him, <laughs> the, the fish just took him for a misguided tour around the ocean, 
and brought him back to the place where he'd gotten out the will of God and he said, you make me sick and he perked him up on the shore there. So Jonah experienced this. He experienced death, burial in a watery grave, very watery and very acidy. Uh, <laughs> death, burial and resurrection. Now it doesn't stop there. And it's very interesting, I have to watch, I don't get too sidetracked on this. You know the, the major god of Nineveh, Syria, was the fish. Now all of a sudden this guy pops out of a fish and he's got a big fish story to tell. And it all helped to bring them to repentance. That's a, a whole story in itself. Then we have, as, as, as Jonah begins his ministry, he goes into the city of Nineveh, a Gentile city if you please, and he says, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. So three days and three nights and 40 days. And at the end of this, what was the response of the people in Nineveh, a Gentile city? The end result is that a great Gentile city comes to repentance and faith through the preaching of a Jew from the land of Judah that based his whole ministry and founded his whole ministry on three days and three nights. So now we'll understand a little bit clearer uh, as Jonah was three days and three nights and he was assigned to the men of uh, Nineveh. Uh, so that's the sign of this generation. So now we come to the New Testament and as we're going to see tonight some very exciting things. Jesus has to fulfill so many things. So Jesus took the sign of Jonah of three days and 40 days and Gentile city coming to repentance and faith at the preaching there, this is going to be fully enacted in the, in the life of the Lord Jesus. So now, instead of Old Testament Jonah, we have New Testament Jesus. By the way, Jonah, as we saw somewhere, uh, means a dove. So now we have the New Testament with Jesus, and so we have the same pattern here. And so the foundation of Jesus' ministry Three days and three nights, the sign of the cross. So Jesus said three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And now, as we read in the gospel or in the book of Acts there, uh, after his three days and three nights, Jesus is seen of the disciples and he's with them after his passion, after his suffering, 40 days. So let's read that verse again in the light of the diagram there. So to whom, he show, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So we have the same sign here, three days and three nights, forty days. And the end result is that after the forty days, you notice that Jesus ascends to heaven. He's not like Jonah, a disobedient prophet or in any way, of course. But he ascends to heaven and the result is that we have another, in this case, another period of 10 days through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost. So in, in, in other words, from the death, burial and resurrection of the Lord, we have 50 days, Pente being 50, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then we see Jews and Gentiles coming to repentance and faith. That's the fuller picture. 
But uh, Jonah was a sign, a sign pointing to what? So the sign is not just the three days and three nights, but includes the three days and 40 days. So the, the, uh, the, the ministry of Jonah and the 40 days and the Gentile city, uh, Gentile city turning to God through faith and repentance of faith is based upon this experience. And the same we see here. Everything's based upon the three days and three nights of Calvary. Now, as we look at this, three days and three nights, and I'm just going to have to skim uh, some of the material here. There were a lot of exciting things that took place in this three days and three nights, and a lot of exciting things that took place in this 40 days, as it says there, to whom he showed himself alive after his passion, referring to the sufferings of the cross, uh, by many infallible proofs. So what I want to do is just touch on a few of the high spots. What actually happened in the three days and three nights? What happened in the 40 days? What happened in the 10 days till we come to Acts chapter 2 when it says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come. So we have three days and three nights, 40 days and 10 days. So I want to touch on just on some of the high spots here uh, in this uh, exciting uh, book here. All right, so if you're taking down uh, your notes here, what I recommend is just, uh, and you've got this wonderful diagram, just put down one, two, three, four, at least we'll try a few of the things and the same over here because I'm only going to have to touch on them uh, reasonably lightly, always because of time. Okay, the first thing I'd like you to note uh, is, is go over to two more scriptures here, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 11, just uh, before we move into some of these uh, exciting events of the three days and three nights and the 40 days. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 5. Now Matthew chapter 5 and uh, verse... Verse uh, 17 and 18, Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Jesus said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. So just want you to make a mental note of that, that Jesus said, I'm not come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm come to fulfill. So until heaven and earth pass, and how many know that heaven and earth are still with us? Okay, uh, so until heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle, the smallest uh, ornamental hook of the Hebrew alphabet, nothing's going to pass until everything's uh, fulfilled. So there's a lot of things that Jesus has to fulfill in this uh, period of time, three days and three nights. Now, one other verse from uh, Matthew, Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And uh, we'll pick up in verse 13, just uh, one verse here, Matthew 11, verse 13. It says, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Now, anybody could see the prophets prophesied. But did you know that the law also prophesied? So all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. So not only did the prophets prophesy, the law prophesied. So Jesus has come to fulfill the law and the prophets, and he says the prophets and the law prophesy. So we'll see that as we work through some of these things. 
All right, now, the first thing I want you to pick up here, so number one is that when Jesus died, and I know I might be treading on some corns here. We could have a healing meeting at the end if you want it. But the old traditional teaching is that during the three days and three nights, Jesus went downstairs to preach to the spirits in prison. Well, I can't take time to disprove that, but we'll just have to disagree agreeably. First thing I want to say here is this, that number one, I believe the Bible teaches that uh, the first thing that happened when Jesus died, he went back to the Father. So he ascended into heaven, back to the Father. Why don't you put down a couple of these scriptures here? Uh, John chapter, in fact, why don't you put down John chapter 13, 14, 16, and 17, just those chapters. And about four, five, or six, or seven times, Jesus says to the disciples, I'm going back to the Father. I came into the world. Again, I leave the world, and I'm going back to the Father. He didn't say he was going downstairs anywhere. He said, I'm going back to the Father. He said, I came forth from God, and I'm going back to God. He said, Father, I come to you. I go back to him that sent me. Uh, in, in, in Luke's gospel, he says, Into thy hands I commit my spirit. So uh, uh, we haven't got time to read all the scriptures, but just read them for yourself. So number one, the first thing that happens here is that Jesus goes back to the Father in spirit. Now his body's in the grave, but his spirit goes back to the Father. So number one. Now, the second important thing, an exciting thing that happens is, let's turn over to Luke chapter 23 on this. Luke chapter 23. When Jesus was on the cross... Remember that there were two thieves uh, crucified on either side of the Lord Jesus. And so in Luke chapter 20, uh, 23, verse 39, and one of the male factors which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing you are in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, and I always think this is the most remarkable thing, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now here there's two thieves, one's a repentant thief, one's an unrepentant thief. And uh, when, you, when you consider Jesus on the cross with his beard plucked out and, and the filthy spirit of the soldiers on him and the crown of thorns and just the, uh, his face so marred more than the sons of men, the scripture says that he's not recognizable as a man and he's uh, back striped with the scourging 39 stripes and uh, crucified uh, you know for another dying thief a dying thief to turn and say Lord and call Jesus Lord that, that's a revelation how many think that would be a revelation if you were hanging on the cross Lord and no man can say Jesus is Lord but by the Spirit so he called Jesus Lord that that to me is a revelation to the heart of a dying thief, a repentant thief. Then he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Well, what did this dying thief know about kingdom? Where was the kingdom? And then listen to the remarkable answer of Jesus. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, Today you will be with me in paradise. Now, where is paradise? Okay, now, contrary to a lot of, well, like Schofield is dead and knows better now, and uh, a lot of writers, Paradise has never been downstairs. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verses... 2 Corinthians 12, let's see if I can give you the verses on that. 2 Corinthians 12 verses 1 to 4. Revelation chapter 2 verse 7. Revelation 2 verse 7. 
and Revelation 22, verse 2. And those scriptures show us that paradise is up. Paul says, I was caught up to paradise, up to the third heaven. So contrary to some of the old ultra dispensationalist paradise has never been downstairs. And see, the tradition, and how many have had to unlearn things? I can put both legs and arms at once. I was taught that paradise was downstairs, but if that's so, the tree of life is in the midst of paradise, and that means the tree of life has been cooking with gas down there for a long time. I don't believe that. Huh? No, the tree of life is in the midst of the paradise of God. And Paul says, I was caught up to the third heaven, caught up to paradise. And so Jesus said to the dying thief, today you will be with me in paradise. And what, a, what an exciting thing it must have been because here's Jesus hanging on a tree, hanging on the cross, and uh, beside him are two thieves. Remember back in the Garden of uh, Eden, there was a tree and two thieves, Adam and Eve both cast out of paradise over a tree. Now here is a thief that's repentant and he, he's taken into paradise. So here's Jesus, as he ascends to heaven, he takes this first repentant thief into paradise, right through the trackless universe into the very presence of God. That must have been an exciting thing. The spirit of the dying thief was taken into paradise as the first fruits of all those who would come to repentance. So that was a very exciting thing for the dying thief at least. Amen? All right, now, the third very important thing that has to happen in this period of time is this. Now remember what Jesus said, I've got to fulfill the law and the prophets. Now listen carefully to what I'm saying here because uh, all these are so weighty in uh, my mind here. But the third thing is this, is the presentation of the blood of Jesus at the throne of God. In fact, I'm going to add a word there. The presentation of the incorruptible blood of Jesus at the throne of God. Now let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 6 on this. Hebrews chapter 6. The presentation of the blood of Jesus, the incorruptible blood of Jesus at the throne of God. I want you to turn over to, what did I say, Hebrews? Yeah, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 6 first of all. Hebrews chapter 6, and uh, we'll look at verse 19 and 20, and then we'll go over to Hebrews 9. So Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, and then Hebrews chapter 9. So let me just read the scriptures first, and I'll bring the picture together. All right, so Hebrews 6, verse 19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Now what was that within the veil? That within the veil was the Ark of the Covenant where the presence and glory of God was entereth into that within the veil. Whither the forerunner so if there's a forerunner there's others running. So whither the forerunner is for us entered even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now Hebrews chapter 9 Hebrews 9 and we'll pick up in verse 12 or verse 11, pardon me, Hebrews 9, verse 11. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. 
For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Then go down to verse 23 of the same chapter. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, that's with animal blood, but the heavenly things with themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Now, remember what we read in Matthew, that Jesus said, I'm not come to destroy the law and the prophets, I'm come to fulfill. Now listen to one of the most important things that Jesus has to fulfill. And so, as I've said often, that we look at all the jots and tittles and all those intricate details in the law and think, oh, what a drag, what a bore, all those intricate, boring details. Why did God give them that? Oh, it's all pointing to Christ. So now, listen to what has to happen, okay, if we can find some room on the board up here. Now remember when Aaron was ministering as high priest, okay, we have the tabernacle, and then we have the, uh, the various places. So here in the holiest of all, we had the Ark of the Covenant, and then we had the golden lampstand out here, and then the table showbread, and then the golden altar of incense. And out in the court here, we had the brazen laver and the brazen altar. Now, remember what Jesus said in John 16, verse 26, I think it is. He said, I came forth from the Father, and I'm coming to the world. Again I leave the world and go to the Father. Now when Jesus came into the world by the incarnation, he came forth from the very throne of God. And what did he come for? He came to redeem us. So he took upon himself through the incarnation body and blood because the body has to be broken, the blood has to be shed. Now, when Aaron, fulfilling the Old Testament picture here, when Aaron went in on the great day of atonement, the sacrifice was made here, the body of the sin offering. Now, I know we don't do much on these things, but the body of the sin offering was taken outside the camp. Jesus was crucified outside the city, outside the camp. The body was there. So now, Jesus' body is in the grave over the three days and three nights. Now, after that, the body was taken outside the camp, so it's very important. And, 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 and saints, if we could really lay hold of some of these things and if the Holy Spirit could sort of make it alive in our hearts, the communion table Sunday morning would be much more meaningful to us because we take the body and the blood of Jesus every Sunday and our minds just should be filled with the, the glory of this thing. How many feel that way? And so the body was taken outside the camp. But what happened to the blood? The blood was to be taken by Aaron the high priest and he was to take the blood within the veil from the outer court through the holy place into the most holy place and you see three places speak of the three heavens. The earth is the wilderness. The atmospheric heavens are the outer court. The planetary heavens are the holy place but the most holy place is the third heaven, paradise, where Paul was caught up to. So Aaron has to take the blood right within the veil. Now, is Jesus gone within the veil? We read that. Veil of what? The veil of the heavenly sanctuary, the real sanctuary. 
So Jesus has to take the blood within the veil and then when Aaron took the blood within the veil, he sprinkled it upon the throne of God, a bloodstained mercy seat. Now, take this kindly, but you know, you, you know my spirit on this. I have very strong convictions on this. It shocks me sometimes to hear preachers say, well, when Jesus shed his blood on the cross, the blood perished at Jerusalem. If that is true, saints, then there is no cleansing agent for sin in the universe today. But how many believe the blood of Jesus is in heaven for us? How did it get there? Who alone could take it there? Now, let me say this very kindly, but very forcibly too. If Aaron had have said, oh, well, I've taken the body outside the camp and it doesn't matter about the blood. No, if he had have dared go within the veil without blood, because God said in Hebrews chapter 9, not without blood, not without blood. Why don't you turn to that verse there? Uh, Hebrews 9, I think it is. Not without blood, yes. Go, go to verse... Um, Verse 7, yes, Hebrews 9, verse 7. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood. I have underlined there, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Spirit, this signifying that the way into the holiest wall was not yet made manifest. Now, happened, I believe the glory of God would have blasted him out because I said, not without blood. When I see the blood, now, if Aaron did that as a type of Christ, how much more is Christ going to fulfill the anti-type? And so Jesus came down, and this is the, you know, just sometimes I feel overwhelmed with these things. Jesus came down from heaven to earth, and through the virgin birth, he got the body for Mary, and the blood came from the seed from the Father of God. He got body and blood to redeem us. And so, dare he go back to heaven with just his body? How many believe that the body of Jesus is in heaven now? All right, well, what, what happened to the blood? So it, it troubles me when I hear preachers say, well, the blood of Jesus perished at Jerusalem. No, his was the only sinless, incorruptible blood in the universe. And God didn't say, when I see the body, I will pass over you. He said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So in order to fulfill the type back here of Aaron, Jesus has to take his blood and I, I, just as the miracle, uh, the virgin birth is a miracle, the life of Jesus is a miracle, all his miracles are miracles, his, his death is a miracle, his burial is a miracle because his body didn't see corruption. Well, if his body didn't see corruption, do you think his blood did? His ascension to heaven is a miracle. Everything's a miracle. And I believe in this time here that Jesus entered by his own blood. Now let me ask you a question. Is Jesus the sacrifice or is he the priest? He's both. He loved me and gave himself for me. He, the priest, offered himself. So Jesus is both priest and sacrifice. So he entered into heaven with his own blood. And so... I know this gets on touchy things, but see, in our glorified body, we're not going to have any blood because our blood is the seed of all sin and sickness, disease, corruption and death. And the only sinless blood that's in the universe is the blood of Jesus. And that's why in the book of Revelation, they overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. I believe the blood is in heaven for me today on a blood-stained throne of God. If this was a blood-stained mercy seat on earth, just the type, animal blood, how, much, how many think that the blood of Jesus is of much more value than animal blood? 
the blood of Jesus. So Jesus had to fulfill the great day of atonement and enter within the heavenly veil and sprinkle his blood on the throne of God and that's the power of the blood that cleanses us from sin right here and now. It didn't perish at Jerusalem. I'm glad for the blood of Jesus, aren't you? So I just, it troubles me when I hear preachers say, well, there's no blood. Well, if Jesus went to heaven just with his body and not the blood, there was no cleansing agent for sin in the universe. No use. And, and, and I, I got into trouble once for saying this, but I have to risk it. I'm a little bit older now and take the risk. <laughs> I do not just have faith in blood that was shed for me at Calvary 2,000 years back. I have faith in blood that is in heaven for me now. I live in the power of that blood. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, what happens? We have fellowship one with another and what's happening? The blood of Jesus cleanseth us. The Greek is present continuous tense. It goes on cleansing me day and night. The blood of Jesus is cleansing me now. It's cleansing us now in his presence. Amen? How many have experienced the power of the blood? See, that's what I'm talking about. So he has to fulfill that. So think not I'm come to destroy the law and the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So what an exciting time that must be. So, so as Aaron the high priest shadowed forth Christ in earthly sanctuary, earthly ministry, in those three places, Jesus has passed into the heavens, the three heavens, and he's in the third heaven. Somewhere in the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ is there. And when he, when he leaves that throne, no more mercy on earth when he comes back the second time. Hallelujah. All right. Better move. Okay, so what was that? Number three, the presentation of the blood. Okay, number four, you can just put this down briefly here. He was with the Father over those three days and three nights in heaven. With the Father in heaven. Number five, next thing that we see happen here is that Jesus, let's go down to, uh, let's go over to Ephesians the book of Ephesians. So number four is Jesus is with the Father over that three days and three nights. Up in heaven, he's with the Father. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. I'm going back to the Father. Father, I'm coming to you. So during that three days and three nights. So he took the dying thief, takes his blood to heaven, and uh, now let's see what happens now. So Ephesians chapter 4, And uh, we'll pick up in verse uh, 8, Ephesians, Ephesians 4, verse 8. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, or the margin says, a multitude of captives, and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it that, but that he also descended first, into the lower parts of the earth. And the, 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 the whole Greek thought there is into the lower down divisions of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all things that he might fill all things. Now, I haven't got time to turn to a lot of scriptures on this, but let me say this. The next thing that happens is at the end of the three days and three nights, he descends into the lower down divisions of the earth. Into what? Not paradise now, but into, uh, into Hades. <coughs> pardon me, and Sheol, and he releases all the goodies, all the righteous. Now, I have to say this briefly, that in the Old Testament, I believe that everybody who died, goodies and baddies, 
Uh, they went to Sheol or Hades. Sheol is the Hebrew word. Hades, the New Testament equivalent. So it simply means the place of departed spirits. So they went down into Sheol and the goodies into the good section and the baddies into the bad section. And all through the Old Testament there's promises that the Messiah would come and he would redeem them from Hades, from Sheol. And so I believe Jesus went down into the underworld and he took all the goodies with him. And in fact, uh, why don't you turn to Hebrews chapter 12 uh, so you see it in your Bible, uh, the implication here, Hebrews chapter 12 and uh, verse 22, 23, You are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, uh, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. The spirits of just men made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. So this is what I believe the scripture uh, tells us, that Jesus descended in spirit, into the spirit realm, and he took all the goodies out, and he led a, a multitude of captives up into paradise, into heaven. And I believe that the scripture teaches since then that since the cross and since the death, burial and resurrection of the Lord that all the saints who die, they go immediately into the presence of the Lord. None of them go to Hades. In fact, you need the room in Hades for all the, ba the baddies. So he had to empty it out to make more room for all the people who are born this day and all the baddies that still go there because Hades is a jail. It's a waiting room for the great day, uh, the great white throne judgment when the court case comes up. But all the saints, since then, the Bible clearly teaches us to, to be with the Lord, to depart and be with Christ is far better. And so all the goodies go up. So that must be an exciting thing. You know, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, uh, he just told the disciples, he said, look, the hour is coming and now is when the dead and those in the grave are going to hear the voice of God. So you, can you imagine Lazarus down here with all the goodies? And all of a sudden he hears this voice, Lazarus, come forth! And he sort of looks around. Lazarus, come forth! Sorry guys, I'll be seeing you. Someone's calling me. And Lazarus come up, bound, hand and foot. <laughs> Miracle. Amen. Difference was between Lazarus' resurrection and Jesus' resurrection. Lazarus had to be loosed of his grave clothes. Jesus left his behind. He said, I'm finished with him. Only thing Jesus did do with his grave clothes was this. He folded up the napkin that was about his head. He folded that up because he said the head's finished with it. The body was still in the shape of the cocoon. Because we're yet to finish with it. So, are you there? Are you breathing? Okay, I'll say it again. I'll just look that time. When Jesus left his grave clothes behind, the napkin or the cloth that was round his head, he folded it up. And why did he fold up the napkin that was about his head? Because he, as the head of the church, had finished with death. But the grave clothes that were round his body were not folded up. Because ultimately, the church's body has yet to conquer death. And when we do, we'll fold the grave clothes up and say, O oh death, where is thy sting? O oh grave, where is thy victory? The uptaker got me, not the undertaker. Hallelujah. But Lazarus, see? So he came out 
from that and left the spirits there. But when Jesus took all this multitude of captives and led a host of captives to heaven, I believe it was that time Psalm 24 was really fulfilled. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory, the angels uh, asked. The Lord of hosts, the Lord mighty in battle. And so Jesus, with all the redeemed spirits of the Old Testament saints who died in faith, the spirits of just men made perfect, they are now in the heavenly Jerusalem waiting for us to get there or waiting to come back at the second coming for their glorified body. We have time for one more. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We may, we'll have to make this the last. I thought we'd get further than this tonight. You'll just have to forgive me for being excited about the Bible. Is that all right? 1 Corinthians 15. So you know people sort of think, oh, Jesus was dead three days and three nights. He wasn't doing much. No, he's very busy. Yeah, a lot, there was a lot of things to be done. And 40 days, wait until we get the 40 days. He was so busy there, no wonder he went to heaven to get a rest. <laughs> so he's been working ever since. 1 Corinthians 15, 15, uh, 15 uh, verse 20 and 23. We'll make this our final tonight. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterwards they that are Christ that is coming. Now, Remember what we've been saying using our base here, I'm not come to destroy the law of the prophets, I'm come to fulfill. Verily not one jot or tittle will pass from the law till all be fulfilled. And the law and the prophets prophesied. So we see how it's fulfilling Jonah, we see how it's fulfilling on the cross. He fulfills the feast of Passover. Later on down here he's going to fulfill the feast of Pentecost, but he's got to fulfill something out here, else here. Now after his spirit was with the Father for three days and three nights in heaven, and he's taken the dying thief up to heaven to paradise. He's presented the blood on the throne and accepted of the Father. And he's led a multitude of captive spirits from the spirit realm back to glory. Now he descends from heaven and we have the number five here, or six, whatever you're up to, is the bodily resurrection. The bodily resurrection of Jesus. So he entered his incorruptible body and he rose from the dead. Now, John chapter 20, we'll just say the scripture here. John chapter 20, on the morning of the resurrection, as he's standing there, the grave closed, the stone is rolled away, not to let Jesus out, but let the disciples in. He's standing there and Mary comes along, supposing him to be the gardener. And he says, don't, don't touch me, touch me not, I'm not yet ascended. Now, what does he mean not yet ascended? He's ascended in spirit and descended in spirit, but he hasn't ascended bodily. So he says, don't touch me. Don't keep hanging on to me. Just let me go. I'm not yet ascended to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. And so all of a sudden, Jesus disappears. And then we're told in the same chapter, that same day in the evening, he burst through the door, walked through the door. How many would like to do that? So a lot of time. And he said, touch me. Now, where's he been? Just in that, that, that day, he'd been to the Father in heaven and presented himself bodily alive as the first fruits, and been accepted of the Father now in his body. 
The blood has been accepted, but now his body. And so now he comes back, he says, now touch me. Look on my wounds. Now, have you ever thought, uh, what, what's the speed of light? 186, 186,000 miles per second. How many think Jesus could uh, travel quicker than light? So, uh, if Jesus went to heaven and he just took his time, you know, at the speed of light, and he got back on the same day, where do you think heaven could be? It's like when Jesus came back the second time. Uh, if he only came back just slowly, just like the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, you know how long it would take him to circle the world, our, our little planet Earth? Three and a half seconds, just taking his time. So it may help us to understand that when he comes back the second time in all his glory, every eye shall see him. And it won't be dark in one place of the earth and, and, and light in another, but the whole earth will be lit up with this blazing light of the glorified Son of God coming in his glory. And while everybody's going to be terrified, we're going to be shouting, Here comes Jesus! Hallelujah! Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.